exactly your idea of an encore, right, Corey? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's all good. Um, well, thanks, everybody. Thanks for choosing to worship with us tonight. <clears throat> the weather's starting to turn on us, isn't it? My mom is in the back. She came up to to come say hi before the weather, the snow starts flying. So I'm grateful that she's here this evening. And yeah, it's awesome. She gets to talk with Natalie from back home, another person from the valley, right? <laughs> it's awesome. We're going to be in the book of Galatians this evening. We started our our series in Galatians just a couple weeks ago. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Galatians chapter 2. If not, hopefully if everything goes well, uh, you'll be able to follow along on the screen there if you can see that. In Galatians chapter 2. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a, church, a group of churches that is in the Galatian region. Up, which is modern-day Turkey, and we just spent the last couple of weeks establishing why Paul was writing this letter. He was writing this letter to some churches that he had established on his first missionary journey, and that's recorded in, in, in Acts. Acts chapter 13, he went up and established these churches, preached the gospel, established these churches, and then moved on. And then he came uh, to find out sometime later that these churches that some teachers had come in there called Judaizers, people that were, came from Jerusalem and from the Jerusalem church, they claimed. And, and they began to say, you not only need to accept Jesus as Savior for salvation, but you also need to partake of the circumcision. You needed to follow the laws of Moses. You had to do those things, and then you could accept Jesus as Messiah. So they begin to add to the purity of the gospel that has been preached in the New Testament. Paul, time and time again, has written, when we'll cover that tonight, that salvation, reconciliation, relationship with God is by grace through faith alone. That God loved us so much that he made a way that if there truly was a way that you and I could earn our way back to him or earn a relationship with him, then Jesus would not have to come and die. Paul would say this. He'll say, then Jesus died in vain. And so that's certainly not the case. And so um, we are... Um, going to just go ahead and read these passages here and uh, and see what the Lord has for us. And so this is the, the foundation in which uh, Paul is writing his letter. And he's, remember last week we talked about him establishing his authority of his, of his apostleship, that he was an apostle. And that just as uh, he's writing to the to these to these churches saying, look, obviously these guys are attacking who I am and my authority is for preaching a gospel that's from Jesus Christ. And so he went in to last week how in the last half of Galatians chapter 1, Paul said, look, I received my apostleship not from a, an authority of humans or men. I received it from the risen, resurrected Jesus, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He saw Jesus. And we talked about last week his his salvific encounter on the road to Damascus, right? We all have stories about how we've encountered Jesus and God, but Paul's got quite the zinger, right? He's, he's going on a road to Damascus to persecute Christ's church, and all of a sudden, the bright light appears to him, and he hears a voice. So not all of us can have that same testimony. He chooses it not the, the normal way, but we all should have a story of how Jesus, how we've encountered Jesus in a personal saving way. So that's last week's sermon, so I guess I should probably stop preaching last week's sermon huh, and get to this week's sermon. 
Yeah. Apparently, I thought so. I'm just preaching it again. So, verse uh, chapter two, verse one. So Paul's establishing his authority. He's establishing his authority away from the the, the apostles that were in Jerusalem. Right, the twelve apostles established the church in Jerusalem. Peter, James, John. Those guys established the church, and so these false teachers came in and began to say, you can't trust Paul. He's not part of the true 12 apostles. And so Paul's saying, I am an apostle, and this is why. And then in verse chapter 2, he starts to say, look, I, I, I did ultimately end up meeting with the, with the other disciples or the, the other apostles. And so that's where we're going to pick up here in Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. The word of the Lord says this. And then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. I went up according to a revelation and presented to them the gospel I preached among the Gentiles. But, I private, but privately to those rec- recognized as leaders, I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running in vain. Verse 3, but not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. And this matter arose between some false brothers who had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. But we did not give up and submit to these people for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. Now, from those recognized as important, that is other disciples or other apostles, once they once were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism, he says. This is parenthetical thought. They added nothing to me, he says. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, us Gentile people, right? Those that are not Jewish in nationality or origin or in race. We would be, in the Jewish mind, Gentile. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter was for the circumcised. So we know the circumcised were the Jewish. The, the circumcision was performed on every Jewish male. Right to, and it was a sign of the covenant of the old covenant. It was to be a sign that was established in the Old Testament, and so all Jews were circumcised. The uncircumcised were those outside of the Jewish religion. Verse eight. So, the one at work, since the one at work in Peter for an apostleship to the circumcised was also at work for me in the Gentiles. So he's writing this letter explaining, look, the same gospel is being written. Or we're preaching the same gospel, although Paul or Peter has been called for the. For, uh, for the Jews, I have been called for the Gentiles, but it's the same gospel. Verse 9, when James, Cephas, that's Peter, and John, those recognized as pillars, the pillars of the church, right? The foundation of the church, the 12 apostles, acknowledged the, the grace that had been given to me. They gave the right hand of fellowship to me and, and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So they, they're in agreement. Verse 10, they also asked that we would remember the poor, which I had made every effort to do. And then this is an interesting turn here in verse 11. This is very interesting. Of all people, it's Peter that's involved in this little backslide here or a little moment in his, in his walk with the Lord where he, he succumbs to the uh, 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 wanting and uh, the perception of wanting to be perceived well by men and not by God. So it's an interesting story here in verse 11. But when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him. So he's like, look, when we first met, we were in agreement. We all agreed that we're preaching the same gospel. You, Peter was going to the Jews. I was going to the Gentiles. 
But then later on, here in Antioch, I had to oppose Peter. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because they feared those from the circumcision party. And then the rest of the Jews joined the hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Verse 14, but when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? Call them out in public, right? Verse 15, we are Jews by birth, he says to Peter, and not Gentile sinners, us pagan Gentiles, right? And yet because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so that we might be justified in the eyes of a holy God, right? To be justified, a legal declaration, be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. Let's pray. Father, we come before your throne of grace and mercy, Lord, thankful for this evening. We're thankful, Lord, for this freedom to be able to meet here this evening and not worry about uh, a government storming in and taking us, hauling us off to prison or religious leaders like, like Paul was, who was going around, traveling around, persecuting your church. God, we're so grateful for all the freedoms that we enjoy in our country, and we're, we just acknowledge you as the giver of all that is good, Lord, and we recognize what a blessing it is to have the freedoms that we have, and we recognize that there are many throughout the world of our brothers and sisters who do not carry the same freedoms, do not have the same freedoms, Lord. And so we, at one breath, acknowledge our, uh, your goodness towards us, but in another breath, bring a, a, our prayer request before your throne, Lord, that you would protect and guide your church all throughout the world, that as they face down opposition and persecution, Lord, that they would remain strong for your, for your cause and that you would be glorified in all things. Lord, help us now this evening as we open up your word. God, I pray your Holy Spirit would meet with each and every one of us here tonight, that we might draw a little closer to Jesus, that we might be reminded of his love, his love that's demonstrated not just in his words, but in his action of him dying for our sin. Lord, we're so thankful for that. So we ask that you be honored now, and help us, Lord, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so just a few things I want to pull out of these verses before we close up shop this uh, evening. Uh, the first thing in verses 1 through 5, Paul again continues to wage his defense uh, for his apostolic authority. And so he's writing to defend his apostolic authority. And as I mentioned last week, it's important for us even today because if we're looking at this letter as inspired words from God, words given to Paul by God, then we can, should be able to trust them just as he's writing to his writers here in Galatia and he's asking them to trust him and his teaching are indeed from Jesus. And if that's the case for them, because we know who our God is, that he's unwavering, he, he does not change, we, we can trust and rely on this same teaching that Paul gives us even some 2,000 years later. We can trust it as God's word. And he, in these first five verses here of chapter 2, he continues to defend his apostolic authority. And then after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along also. 
I went according to a revelation and presented them the gospel I preached among the Gentiles. So he's saying, look, I, I take these Barnabas and Titus, and Titus is really important because Titus is a Gentile. And so Paul's going up there going, okay, are these people, are, are the other apostles, are they really teaching that you have to become part of the circumcision? Do you have to be circumcised and you have to follow all the rules of Moses as well? So he sends, he brings Titus along as a litmus test. He's like, I'm going to set Titus right down in the middle and I'm going to see if they're going to request Titus to be circumcised. Yeah, that would, yeah, probably not in front of them, but uh, anyway, yeah, however that worked back in that day. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> oh, boy. So that, that's what's going on. So he's bringing Titus. He said, look, I, I'm, I'm going up there. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and, holding, and, and had not been running in vain. So he's saying, look, I wanted to make sure that what I was preaching and teaching was not in vain, was, not, was a different gospel than what the other apostles were teaching. And so he was going there to confirm those things. But not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised. Phew! Right, Corey? Was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. So the apostles were not requiring him to be circumcised, even though he was a Gentile. And so this matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. And so he's saying, look, these false brothers came in. They're saying they're from the church of Jerusalem. You not only need Jesus, but you have to be Follow the laws of Moses. You have to be circumcised. They started adding the burdens of the law to this, these churches yet again. And Paul says it so eloquently here. He says, look, they, they're trying to steal our freedom. They're spying on our freedom, and they're trying to enslave us back into that religious, legalistic work of doing, 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 doing the law. And it's been that way for a- ages the simplicity, the beautiful picture of the gospel, time and time again gets challenged and say, you must, do, you must have your part when it's a free gift. It's a beautiful gift given to us by God. Verse 5, but we did not give up and submit to these people for even a moment, he says. He's like, uh-uh, ain't happening. Why? So that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. He didn't just acquiesce and say, oh, brother, I understand where, you know, maybe we'll just do this for you because you're, of your conscience sake. He's like, no, I didn't even, not for one second did I agree to what they were teaching. He wasn't buying what they were selling, right? And why? For the truth of the gospel. We're reminded what Paul said in Galatians chapter 1 when he introduces himself to these churches. I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace God's grace, God's unmerited favor. So quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different cross gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul's argument for this entire letter is, look, you start adding works to the beautiful gift of salvation by faith alone, you corrupt, you delude, you make the gospel impotent. It is no longer the gospel. You're making it another gospel. He goes on to say, right? In verse 9, as we have said before, and now say again, that anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be upon him, anathema. May he go straight to hell, essentially is what he's saying. Because diluting the gospel, changing the gospel, affects people's eternities. And it's that important for Paul to call people out for 
change in the gospel. He says, look, even if I come back and preach another gospel, this is what should be done to me. If me or another person or an angel comes, preaches another, let a curse be upon him. It's important. And in verses 6 through 9, back in Galatians 2, we see two distinct people groups, but the same gospel. So we, we see as we look at the entirety of God's inspired word that the gospel message, the gospel of grace, God's grace is the same message for uh, God's people of the Old Testament. It is the new, that salvation is only found by God's grace through faith. In the Old and New Testaments, the law was laid out only, as Paul will go on to say in Galatians, was only given to us to be our schoolmaster to show us that we can't earn our way. It's impossible for us. And it's only by trusting in the promises of God that he has accomplished the salvific work through Jesus that we can be saved. And so in this New Testament, as they're trying to figure things out, right, it's muddy, it's messy. This is real life. This is, these aren't guys in the ivory towers declaiming this is what Christianity is going to be. They're out. They're encountering Jews and Gentiles. They're preaching the gospel. They're trying to figure out where does the law fit in this and all that. And so they're saying, uh, verse 6, now from those recognized as important, those are the 12 apostles from the church of Jerusalem, what they once were makes no difference to me. That's Paul saying, I don't care who they are. Right? I'm not a pleaser of people. I'm a pleaser of God. But God, it makes no difference to him because God does not show favoritism. Right? God is not a respecter of persons. They added nothing to me, said the 12 apostles. They didn't add anything to me. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter was for the circumcised. So two different People groups, same gospel. Since the one at work in Peter for an apostleship to the circumcised was also at the work in me for the Gentiles. Same gospel, same God, same spirit. Right? It's a beautiful thing. God, Peter, and, and Paul are working independently of one another, miles apart from one another yet, but the same God is working in them and through them and, and, and teaching them and declaring them the same gospel. It's a beautiful thing. Verse 9. When James, Peter, and John, those recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship, so all was well. Verse 10 is important for us as well today. And that's the gospel should effectually work within us and for the betterment of our society. So they said, look, we, we extend the right hand of fellowship for you, and we're in agreement with you. However, go out, so preach to the, to the Gentiles, but they ask that you would remember the poor, which I had made every effort to do. There's a danger in Christianity where we become so full of head knowledge and what the true gospel is and what the true gospel is and, and, and us versus them and, you know, shining our theology. It's like a gun that's in a case that we just shine and we shine and we shine and say, look how pretty this is, but it's never shot. Shoot the gun. We have the power of salvation and found in the gospel. And it's God has called us to be the light of the world, to be the salt of the earth. He's asked us to go out and, and impact this world. And, and part of that is remembering the poor that is among us. Part of the gospel was the social call for us to, to uh, as James would write. I think I have his notes here somewhere. Someone's sneaking out. I don't know why. James writes this. 
um, pure and undefiled religion. We all want to be religious, right? So true religion, he says, before God, the Father, is this. To look after orphans and widows in, in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So it's not just about having the right theology. It's what are you doing with that theology? Are you making an impact for God's glory in this world? James would go on to write, in the same way, faith, he's talking, to, uh, ex- talking about the expression of our faith horizontally with one another. If, if your faith does not have works, it is dead by itself. If you just say, I have faith, that your, your life does not have the fruit of the Spirit, there's no evidence of that, that's his dead faith he's saying. But someone will say, he says, you have faith and I have works. And he says, show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Faith comes first. But the works, that's what we're called to. Good works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We always like to quote that one. For by grace are you saved through faith, then not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. But then we stop there and it goes on to say, and you're called in Christ Jesus unto good works. After faith comes this fruit and this work. He's calling us to these things. So the gospel should effectually work within us for the betterment of society, for God's glory. That's always something we should always try to remember. And then verse 11, Peter being a hypocrite. This is right, Peter saying, Look, brother, I extend my right hand of fellowship to you. I believe that you're a gospel or an apostle unto the Gentiles. But when the other Jewish guys came from James, from the Jerusalem church, and they muttered to me, Hey, why are you eating with the Gentiles? I, re- I withdrew myself because that was the Jewish appropriate thing to do. He was more worried about what those men thought of him than what the gospel was and what God thought of him. And so Paul opposed him. Paul called him out to his face publicly, right? He didn't take him aside. He walks in and says, Paul, you're a hypocrite. You know that the wall, separation between Jew and Gentile has been taken down. But yet, in your actions, you're showing there's still a division. You believe one thing and you're acting another. You're being a hypocrite. And so he said, I oppose him to his face. And so he's writing these things, probably knowing that the word's going to get to them, saying, yeah, Paul and Peter had a, had a little bit of a disagreement. And it was a public disagreement. Yeah, Paul happened to call Peter a hypocrite. And so he's providing his justification as to why he was doing this. Then we close where in verse 14. Oops. Technology is awesome. Verse 14 says this in Galatians chapter 2. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Peter... In front of everyone, if you who are a Jew like live like Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like a Jew? He's being a hypocrite. He came to this own, and his own people did not. Okay, so that's where I ended. But he go, he goes on to say, right, that, that that wasn't right, and that he did this. He stood up to Paul or to Peter for the for the defense of the gospel. He's trying to keep the gospel pure. I think we've pulled that out of our verses already this this evening. And it's so true. He, we know that Paul, 
again and again in all of his letters teaches and, and testifies to the fact that he'd go into a town and he'd tell the Jewish people, you can't be saved by the works of the law. You must be saved by grace through faith alone. Jesus paid the penalty. All you must do is turn from your own self-righteousness and tr embrace the righteousness of Christ who will give it to you because he paid the penalty for you. It's a love gift. He, he again and again declares it's by grace through faith. Right? And John, we just got done with the Gospel of John. John says he came into his own. That's Jesus. He came into his earth, his creation, and his own people did not receive him. He goes in verse 12, but to all who did receive him, all, every nation, every kindred, every tongue, he gave them the right to become children of God. And how do you receive Jesus? Receive Jesus? To those who believe in his name. Believe and trust that what he's done is enough. He paid it all. That beautiful hymn, right, Melba? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He made it white as snow. It's an amazing gift. John would go on to say, who were born not of natural descent or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. It's being born again, being born from above. By receiving Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and regenerates us and begins the eternal life that he's promised us for all who believe. Second Timothy. Timothy was Paul's son. He writes this in his second letter. God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, not because of what we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Romans 3, we are justified by his grace. Freely. We don't do anything to earn it. The redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Titus 3.7, we are justified by his grace that way we may become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And then finally back in Galatians, Paul writes, I do not nullify the grace, if I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, he said, if, if we really became righteous in front of God through the law and doing our own self-righteous works, then Christ died for no purpose. There'd be no need. But he has died. He has come. He's come to live the law perfectly, only to go to the cross as the spotless Lamb of God to take the sin of the world. Galatians chapter 3. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Paul's writing in the negative here. He's like, look, you really want to rely on the works of the law? You're going to be under the curse. You cannot have salvation by faith through grace and the works of the law combined. They're mutually exclusive. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. James would say, he that keepeth the whole law yet offendeth on one point, he's guilty of it all. And that's why it's so important for us to be in the blood of Jesus. Because if we are judged by our works, we will be judged accordingly. Offended on one point, we're guilty of it all. Verse 11, now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. We live by faith just as Abraham believed God and was counted unto him for righteousness. It has always been by faith, trusting in God's promises and him delivering us from what we truly deserve.
and giving us eternal life. And the letter to the Galatians is so important for us even today, even though we're not worried about Judaizers coming into the church and saying, you must be circumcised, Mike. Right? But the spirit of that is Jesus, you need Jesus, but it's not enough. You need to add more to it. And that's the spirit that Paul is fighting against. And that's why it's so important for us to study the book of Galatians and that you and I can contend for the faith that was once delivered for the saints. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for this opportunity, God, to open up your word, to learn about this beautiful gift of, of salvation that you've given us by grace. We stand here, Lord, unworthy of this wonderful gift you've given us. We stand in awe of your love that you've demonstrated to us, Lord, through what Jesus has done. And uh, God, we just ask through the empowerment of, the, of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we, as you call us to, we would do good works to reflect your goodness, to reflect your love to those around us, that we would be the vessels used for the poor, to, to engage the poor, to engage the widows, to, to engage those um, that are less fortunate in this world, Lord. Help us to be the people you've called us to be. We can't do it in our own strength, God. We ask you to empower us in that. And it's by your grace, by grace you've saved us, and by grace, your enabling grace, you give us the power to live a life that you called us to. And so we're thankful. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes on you and our focus on you this week. May you receive glory all that is said and done in our, out of our lips and out of our actions. And we love you, Lord, because you first loved us. We ask it in Christ's precious name. Amen. Ten minutes left. I should have kept going.